Have you ever experienced something so crippling in your life that has made you feel broken? I have. Are you someone who has a giving heart but is struggling to feel good themselves? Are you consistently putting your needs aside to take care of everyone else? If so, you're not alone. Giving starts with giving to yourself so that you are able to give of yourself to other people. Isn't it time you took back control and discovered what makes you tick? Join me in my journey and find out how you can feel better about yourself, live your best life, and share that with others. Thinking of yourself, it doesn't make you selfish. It makes you brave. I'm Nelia, and this is the Giving Starts With You podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Giving Starts With You podcast. I'm Nelia Hutt. And today I am very excited to have um, this very special guest on. Um, she's becoming a new friend to me and a very inspirational author, uh, but her name is Sam Houghton. So I'd love to welcome Sam to the show. Sam is an intuitive book coach. Um, she's a ghost writer. She's an author and she helps her clients write epic books. Um, she has an incredible story to tell and I know that she is going to help the listeners today and that's why I've chosen to have Sam on so I'm so happy that she's here. Welcome to the show Sam, how are you? Thank you Nelia, thank you, thank you for inviting me on, oh. great to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy. So Sam's joining us from England, where are you from? I am, yeah, right in the middle in the East Midlands in a town, well a city actually called Leicester. Wonderful. My husband's family is originally from Exeter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we know that. Pastor Exeter on the way to Devon holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been to England for one day just to catch a ship out to the Mediterranean there. So I, okay. I was only there for maybe eight hours driving through. It was <laughs> lovely, though. I would love to go and actually be able to experience it. But uh-huh. Uh-huh. So as you know, um, I bring on a lot of different people who inspire me with their stories. And I think that Sam's going to be able to share with us. And she's so brave and um, she's written this incredible book. So I would love it if you could share with us um, a little bit about who you are. Yeah, sure. So um, I'll start, I'll start with the book and then I'll work back. So three and a half years ago, I felt really this huge calling within to, to share my story um, because for two reasons, really. One was to heal the shame that I still had about my past. Whatever I did, whatever therapy I went through, I couldn't seem to drop, let this shame go. And then the second reason was to help others because I'd been through a huge transformation and I think when you've been in that place, um, as yourself and a lot of your guests would, would I'm sure would recognize, you, you do want to give back. You do want to use your experiences to inspire and help others. So that led me to finally getting to the place where I sat down, wrote my book, flooded out of me, The Invisible Girl, The Secret Life it's called, um, because that's largely how I felt uh, for a large chunk of my life, especially when I was growing up, in particular my teenage years and my 20s. Um, and so 
it kind of the, the story in the book begins where I was around about 10 years old living in living at home um, you know to outsiders looking in I guess the idyllic family home beautiful house went on lovely holidays me and my brother always dressed nicely went out for lovely meals all of the things is that there were things within the house that were not quite right um, and then I think I think with a with a lot of trauma there's um, which I didn't had no real sort of awareness of at that time I think when you that young person especially and you're kind of locked in your environment on all what's going on you're, you're just kind of reacting or responding to things um, and so I didn't have that awareness but I was very aware I was always a very very self-conscious person about who I was or who I perceived myself to be and so I think there's all different aspects it's personality it's experiences it's environment um, a very shy young girl very self-conscious about growing up growing up but you know all of the changes that are taking place when you're going through those sort of that puberty uh, but being highly sensitive about that but also very highly sensitive about everything really feeling everything on a very deep level feeling um you know the minute details of a, a bit of other people as well their emotions their reactions being acutely aware of it and of the kind of knock-on effect that would have on me so that's kind of like where where i i, I started um do you want me to elaborate any more on that um sure it's you know it's interesting when you say that um the hypersensitivity because i find when i was growing up as well some of the things that you described um i can really relate to as well it was like there was nothing ever felt in the middle no it was always either really really down or really really up yeah and i was aware of myself and those changes that you're talking about and aware of things that people wouldn't normally give a second thought to yes and yes. they would like take over like my thoughts and it would be so hyper mm. like so much more than the average person yes so yes. yeah if you could talk a little bit more about that that would be great yeah yeah absolutely it's yeah yeah for all of my life really you know this is going way way beyond puberty um, and I'll dive more into that, but it was the whole wave of feeling and of emotion, um, the extremes, um, very, very much something I've had to learn to, and still doing so, manage. Um, I'm very, because I think when you feel that depth of emotion and feeling about things, it, it, it kind of, it makes me very impulsive as well. I know um, sort of like certain responses to trauma that's, you know, experiences you've had in your life can, can kind of lend to that as well. But when you're feeling something so deeply, it's, it's actually very difficult to not react to that in that moment. Um, and that's something I still work on. But then I think there's like force for that as well. But sort of like the tipping point for me um of being able to manage being this person was when i was heading for towards 11. so we had like i said we had this like family life which i described but then also into that mix 
my dad um, was very much a, an achiever, high achiever. He always worked for himself, worked very hard, very strong work ethic. Um, but he was also a drinker. So he turned, you know, alcohol was his comfort, what he used to numb everything out with. And then living, you know, my mum, again, she's a very feeling, very empathic person. So living with someone whose addiction becomes comes before anything, really, you know, that's that's quite a hard role to, to live with. So she was always kind of drowning in, in the sorrow of living with that. And then me as that deep feeling person. And then there was my brother who was younger as well. That just had like eventually had a profound effect on me. And then all at the same sort of time, my dad's business was um, gaining traction. He, he was having quite a lot of success. But the more success, the more stressful it seemed to get for him from what I can remember. And the more then he would turn to drink. But we moved. Um, so we moved house moved from this city school where I was settled. I had, you know, a couple of like really close friends, being that shy girl. And then to know that we're going to move into the country to this much bigger house in a village where I didn't know anyone and away from your friends. Oh, I just found that almost, you know, impossible to deal with. I can remember feeling heartbroken and how, how was I going to cope? It was like my little world was being ripped apart. But then when we moved to this village, I just never, ever felt like I fitted in. And neither did my mum. So my dad would be aware of work all the time. But then as time went on, his drinking progressively got worse. And so we were living in that environment where I hated going to that school. I didn't fit in. I felt the odd one out. I was like an early developer. So I had all of that going on. Um, I found it hard to make friends and I just and then we'd be living with like what was going on at home with my dad and being in that erratic environment being around someone with an addiction you you know you you you're living in fight or flight seeing my mum upset I know <clears throat> at that point I very, became very much a protector of both of my parents I could feel for them both deeply and I was trying to make things right and in some some ways are kind of like almost parenting um and I just took that all on and a few years a few years later it just really I could not manage anymore and I just remember being absolutely terrified of growing up I, I just I guess I didn't have I didn't have I hadn't been shown those tools you know to cope with in in life um and I was trying to be there for my parents and I remember one of my worst fears was if, what would happen if my parents split up because I didn't feel like either of them could really cope anyway. So where was that going to leave like me and my brother? Um, and just being terrified of growing up, the thought of getting a job, of, of that sort of responsibility just put so much fear into me. And when I was, um, by the age of 14, I had to I'd, I'd settled, fortunately I was only at this village school for about six months, moved to the next school, much bigger school, much more what I was used to. And I think then there's less focus on you. You can hide a bit more in a bigger school, um, which I kind of did. Um, and then all at the same time, I started to press 
really quite, I suppose when I look back quite outrageously at the time for, you know, a young person, I started to really resonate with punk scene. And I had blue hair, pink hair, black hair, outrageous makeup, you know, outrageous clothes. You, you would not, not notice me if you saw me in the, <laughs> the street. But at the same well, it time, was the one. yeah. <laughs> I think we do that because it's the one thing we can control, right? Yeah, and it it was almost like a guess an armor, something to hide behind. But even though at home I felt like very much the invisible girl, I think that was my way as well of like screaming out and saying, you know, like notice me for God's sake, you know, notice me. Um, but at the same time, I, I struggled with it as well. I feel like I was thinking about this earlier and I was thinking, I feel like I've gone a lot of my life. I've been in conflict, very much in conflict with myself, about who I am, because I used to try and adapt, adopt rather lots of different, I suppose in some ways, um, identities, because I didn't really know who I was, um, because I was never really had that safe, secure environment to just be who I was. and develop that as you would do normally and so yeah I think things kind of uh, got better for a while at the, at the next school the high school but then I was at one of those schools where age 14 you need to leave to go to another school with the sixth form and that really was kind of like the, the, the final straw for me because I got split up from all of my friends and I, and I just went to pieces I just, um, I started to true it from school, something that I'd never ever done because I was very much like my dad, the high achiever, thrived on work, my work, my schoolwork, getting my grades. Um, and I just became a completely different person, really. I just became a lot more um, introverted. Um, when I was truanting, it was completely on my own. I used to hide out in libraries. And I used from a very, you know, sort of from age sort of 15, this was 14, 15, I'd be frantically trying to figure out who on earth I was. So I'd be reading books about psychiatry. You know, this is going back to the 80s. So there was nowhere near, you know, we were far from having the internet and all of the um, availability, what we have now of knowledge. So there was very limited resources so but there was always books so i'd read these books and i could identify and i i guess i was kind of almost like self-diagnosing myself i learned probably everything more or less there was to know i could find that point about mental health and yeah i could really identify with, with some of the labels that i would read about sorry sam to interrupt you so you sort of had to figure that out on your own then like you're saying you were reading up and then you would recognize it right yeah yeah because i, I really i was struggling with myself so much because the more the longer this sort of truancy went on and the fear within me building up about how on earth was i going to cope you know with with leaving school and i was like i just couldn't cope with all of the emotions and thoughts that i had i just assume there's something you know really wrong with me such a confusing um, time like yeah. if you don't mind like earlier you were talking about how you know you had all this change right like I was just thinking when you were speaking about that it is so hard for adults to adapt to change 
So when you're a child and you finally feel like you belong or you're semi belong and you've got these fr- couple of friends, you know, and you're introverted mm-hmm. and you're in the school, mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. imagine like it, it feels like your world is falling apart, you know, and if you're not used to how to adapt to change and having to do that over and over and not really yeah. feeling like you had anybody to really talk about it with, because at home mm-hmm. you didn't really have time to be a child, right? No, exactly. You know, and and that is so hard because you kind of feel robbed a little bit. Like I know as a child, yeah. I felt a little bit robbed because I, I too felt that I had to do a lot of, you know, adult things as a child. And it is yeah. hard. It is hard. So, and it's tough because sometimes as teenagers too, like you're going through all the puberty and you're going through all these yeah. things yeah. and trying to figure out. So the fact that you took that upon yourself to just research and do that I think that's very very smart like at that time you know because it's hard to it's hard to have that bravery sometimes so I'm glad that you did that yeah I I guess it's it was always looking for a solution um always looking for a a way out of of how to make things better and I had a I did actually have an auntie who'd been diagnosed with with mental health problems so I could kind of like have some knowledge of that um and and that kind of like I just I became obsessed with it became absolutely obsessed with it but in a in a weird kind of way it was comforting because it was a it was another kind of world I could I could sort of relate to and almost felt at home with right so that sounds really sad but you know it was gradually everything declined my mood declined I became very very depressed I really really went into myself I completely shut down really I couldn't communicate barely with my parents I was just living in my bedroom and I was self-harming and I got to the you know got to the point where I just didn't want to be here um in the UK we have the Samaritans charity so I used to reach out to those and they were the only people really that I felt understood me or had time for me and that they were amazing they were absolutely amazing but eventually the school caught up with things very different to what it's like now I let my parents know I'd not been attending school but I refused point blank and I at this time I was just a complete mess Mm my mum took me to see my GP Um, the GP listened to me you know I wasn't sharing a lot but came to the conclusion she says you are chronically depressed handed me a prescription for, for uh, antidepressants started to take those they were the, the real old school antidepressants so very very sedative effects and lots of horrible side effects but I went with that that numbed things down a little bit but eventually it just all became too much all those big emotions were just unbearable um, and eventually I, the school psychologist got involved that service. I was on the waiting list, but in the end, I just felt like I was going to explode with my emotions and thoughts. And so I found out where this place was and I went on my own, off my own bat and basically begged for help. And then about a week later, I was admitted to a, an adolescent psychiatric unit. And I originally went in as a, a day patient, but about a week later, they said, they wanted me to go in as a as an inpatient which I did um, did you fight that was, when they said that to you or were you relieved no, no 
I'm massively relieved, massively relieved. It was scary, but I was massively relieved because for me, it got me out of the real world. I, and I just couldn't cope in the real world. Um, it took me away. And so that became my safety zone, my comfort zone, really, for the next 16 months. We lived there. We went home at weekends. It was a therapeutic environment. They had all kinds of therapies, more medications. You'd see psychiatrists, psychology, all everything. It was very intensive. Um, and I was there with about 10 other young people, all there for different reasons. Um, and then came the day I had to be discharged, sort of 16 months later. To me, that was the end of the world because I was going back, being put back into society where I hadn't got a clue how to be. And when I, when I look, look at it all now with adult eyes and the knowledge I have, I think I'd become really quite institutionalized. Is that, you know, I was 17 when I left there and I was a mess. I, I attempted to go to college and I just couldn't cope with it. It was the same as at school. I'd be full of fear. I'd be walking down the corridors at college, literally sobbing and terrified to be there. And I spent most of my time um, when I was there in the counselor's office, you know, crying and saying I didn't know how to be as a person. It was, um, it was the most awful time in my life. And I spent every day and I was just in so much fear. Um, and eventually I, I started to truant again. So it's the same patterns over and over again. Um, another year went by and I was just hanging on in there by a thread. I was receiving some uh, outpatient support, but I just wasn't really progressing. Um, still on medication, so things were numbed down. I'd have tranquilizers, all kinds of things. And I went back to, you know, but there was always that pressure there of what are you going to do with your life? You've got to do something. And all I wanted to do was run back and be put back in a hospital. Um, and that remained my identity for many, many years to come, which was actually very damaging. Um, but that, that was my normal. And right up until even my early 40s, when I had, a, I had a bit of a meltdown about something and that, because identity and, and, and changing from an identity level has become to me absolutely crucial because that was still my like my get out clause that was still my if things got really tough in life oh my god I need to go in a psychiatric unit because that was my reality for so many years throughout my 20s because I ended up going to another college and uh, I think because it was more of a vocational college and people were that bit older it didn't seem so much like a school learning environment which put the fear of god into me and I, I was able to hold that down for a year. I was training to be a chef. But then in the second year, when it came halfway through that year, when it came to, oh, yeah, you're going to have to leave this comfort zone again, go out into the real world, get a job. I just had a complete meltdown. And I made an attempt on my life. And then after that, I got placed into a, a psychiatric unit for adults this time. So I was in there. Um, but then when I was in there, I had, that was my first stay as an adult, and I had quite a transformation while I was in there. 
they gave me a new drug which did seem to really help because my mood was really at rock bottom that lifted me up somewhat but then I made three sort of big decisions where I was going to go back to college I don't know where this inner strength came from but I was going to go back to college finish my exams I wanted to meet I wanted a boyfriend I'd never had any normal teenage years um, I wanted to date I wanted to meet someone I was desperate to be loved um, and I was going to lose weight because by this point food had also become my comfort and I was vastly overweight and I went away from this hospital when I was discharged and I was having outpatient help and I went away and within six months I kind of had really achieved a lot of these things I lost um, an awful lot of weight very quickly I went back to college, passed my exam, got a job, and I met somebody. So I kind of do things quite all or nothing, a bit like the emotions, really. Um, when I go for it, I really go for it. Um, and, and, and outside of looking in, I would have been perceived as, you know, a big transformation, but I'd still not addressed a lot of the inner work. And so I was still very fearful. I still had a lot of these... Um, self-hatred self-loathing and I quickly needed to find a new way to cope um, and so I soon after developed an eating disorder bulimia which I then went went on to you know that ruled my life that very very quickly became very kind of addictive it became my world for the next sort of 12 years it was just a blur of you know binging vomiting head down the toilet <laughs> worrying about weight but it was just a massive um distraction from what was really going on and I kind of clung to that I ended up marrying the, the man that I met um but it was a very ended up being a very unhappy marriage I struggled to hold down a job I was in and out of jobs for years in and out of hospital um like I say that became my my go-to place that was going to save me when it all got too much. I'm still very volatile emotions and trying to deal with all of this. Um, and then kind of my saving grace really was in my late 20s. I just, I never felt I wanted children because I felt a child myself. I didn't know how to cope with life. How would I, earth would I cope with somebody else? And that responsibility. But my maternal clock kicked in and I just really had this strong desire to have a, have a child. And um, I did, and I was. I always say the day my son was born, it was two new lives were born, and um, it just everything changed from then onwards because it was no longer about me. You know, I had instant love with my son, and it was I wanted just wanted to give him everything I'd not have, especially self belief, self confidence, and I just wanted to be the best mum I could for him and. At that point, I still, you know, really hated myself. I didn't feel worthy at all. But I, I used my love for him to be what I, who I needed to be, who I needed to become. And so I really started to embark on a true healing journey then and facing all of the demons of my past and coming to terms and basically reparenting myself from, from my younger years. That was throughout my late 20s and, and a lot of my 30s. It seems like you have an amazing relationship with your son. Very, yeah, we, we, we're very, very close. Yeah, we, we've, 
yeah, he, he's, he means the world to me, obviously, mother and son, but it's, I don't know, there, there is a very special bond there. We are very close. I feel very lucky. Um, and eventually that healing, I wasn't doing it just for him anymore. Uh, I started to do it for myself and, you know, have enough self-worth then to want to do it for me and, and to, to keep building on that. And it's been a journey since then. If I can ask you a question, um, what was it back in the hospital that mm. Mm. Um, maybe could have been done that maybe wasn't done in, in me? Like when I, when I say that, I mean, like when you were, when you went the first time, Mm. And then you felt that you couldn't cope with the outside world when you left because you were in there for quite a while, right? So it it makes you feel so comfortable and so accepted. I'm assuming I don't know. And I'm not going to pretend to know how it felt for you. But could they have given you better tools to cope with the outside? Like, was there something that maybe could have happened then that would have changed certain things that happened in your life and how you felt? I think there was kind of two main problems. I think one was I'd gone so into myself. I think they struggled to reach me. because I can remember having, um, we all had our own (laughs) psychiatrist and I can remember, you know, we'd sit there in silence. I was, I had a lot of rage, had a lot of trapped in rage, mainly rage at my parents. for for the pain I was going through and it was like that wasn't noticed or picked up on or certainly not to the degree I was feeling it and you know I'm in a psychiatric unit which part of that don't you don't you get and it was like they were still wrapped up in their own pain um so I had a lot of rage as a teenager very very angry and that when that's not expressed turn transforms into sort of like depression and the low mood so I was so locked into all of that but I don't remember anybody ever mentioning the word trauma ever I was always told it was um, a medical condition chemical imbalance hence all the variety cocktail of drugs over the years and or genetics as well because there was kind of on my mum's side of the family most of her siblings had had mental health problems. Um, so it was largely linked with those two things rather than what was going on in my environment. But then at the same time, I know now I was trauma bonded. I was very protective of my parents and they didn't speak openly about it. My mom was kind of trauma bonded as well. She never spoke openly about my dad and the drinking. No one spoke about any of it. As far as as far as what I can remember, so not nothing that was going on was ever dived into and dealt with. So you're never really gonna gonna change from that place. So you know, it's, it's kind of like the sticking plaster approach. Give them, you know, have the drugs, have the have the. Um, I can remember doing art therapy and all of these different therapies, but it was just like it was all on the surface. It was like nothing was going to the root cause. But then I wasn't opening up either. I really didn't know how to. And I found it very hard to trust anybody because I felt like, you know, the main people in my life had really let me down. And if you can't trust those people, who can you trust? And 
I was a very, very angry, lonely girl. Oh, I'm sorry that you went through all that. It's, it's hard because if people try to hide the problem, like especially with alcohol, right? If people try to yeah. hide the problem, then you don't feel like they're acknowledging there's a problem. So yeah. it's very yeah. hard to talk to somebody who either is shamed, like if, if your mom, for example, maybe felt ashamed or she just had a hard yeah. time dealing with it and didn't want to look at it herself. It's very hard for you to feel visible and validated with that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I had none of that. And, you know, when you're younger, you, 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 I was only really, I was seeing it from my parents' point of view because I, I had so much empathy for them. But at the same time, I had massive rage. So there was that big conflict there as well. Um, and I, you know, I obviously was seeing it very differently to what, how I see it now, you know, um, it, it was a very, very, very challenging time. And, you know, I don't know how I kind of got through it. When I look back now, I think, oh my God, I was one hell of a badass <laughs> to have got through that. I don't know. I don't know how I did it. Because I, I, for years, I just felt so alone. And, you know, I hope that you realize that these things happen to you, not because of you, right? So. I do now. You know, yeah. that it's very tough when you're, when you're a kid to even, like, you're just trying to figure your way out through life. Mm. And how is your relationship now with your parents? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's pretty good. It's, um, and then especially since I wrote my book, that's brought so much healing. So much healing. Yeah, was that um, with, when, so they read your book? Um, my mum has. My mum was a massive advocate for me. She sold lots of copies of my book. She was at my book launch. It was, you know, it's been incredibly healing. Um, as far as I'm aware, my dad hasn't, but my mum's read some of it to him. <laughs> but he was, um, it's brought so much peace both of them really apologized to me oh, okay. um, they really didn't have that awareness um which i as a mum, i still that still triggers me a little bit because i think oh, okay which bit didn't you get but it was i know that they did the best that they could with what they had with who they were at the time and that generation as well very very different to my generation my generation is very different obviously to my son's generation now, but they had, they had very little awareness, very little. Um, but yeah, no, we're, we're really close now. You know, we've gone on holidays. We, you know, I see the regular, it's, you know, we're quite a loving unit now. So yeah, I love that. I love that you guys have amended, you know, parts of your relationship. Um, mm -hmm. what, yeah. so you said you had a lot of self-hatred, right? So what, what did yeah. you use to help yourself feel different about yourself? Like what gift were you able to give yourself even after all of this, or maybe it's just recent that made you um, think differently about yourself that made you, cause you know, this whole show as well is about how, even if we don't have anybody in our corner, what can we do for ourselves so that we can change our dynamic of our family and change, you know, people around yeah. us. Yeah. Right. Yeah, sure. So the the one thing that I always well, there's a few things really that I always did that I didn't really recognise as, as tools really. But a big thing for me was always having someone to talk to, um, being able to express myself, 
because of the intensity of the emotions and thoughts. Um, and there was really no one around, really. Um, so I used to write. I loved writing at school anyway, so I used to write. So that was always my go-to, my way to at least offload some of the emotions, uh, you know, and it's a hugely therapeutic tool anyway. And then visualization. So I think a lot of people have got a really amazing imagination, but it's how we use it. So in the past, mine was very much wired to um, panic, fear, worry. Um, you know, all it was on that loop, stuck on that loop. However, there were points where I always was able to, I always had like some glimmer of hope because I used to go off into fantasies in my head. So it was like, this was my coping tool. So I would be, I would imagine, pretend in my head I was somebody else because it felt intolerable to be who I was and my surroundings. So I would go to an escape in my head. I'd become someone else. So I'd become a new identity in my mind. No one else knew. Um, it was just for me. That really helped me to cope as well. Um, and then visualization. So being able to imagine a different life. So the one thing I was, well, two things that always I was striving for was, no, it never made sense to me that you would be born to feel the way that I did. So I just thought, I never could accept that. And I just thought, I, there's joy, there's happiness. So I was always striving for that and a peace of mind. Um, and so those things, I used to be able to visualize like that and about having a, a much better, happier life. So those things like gave me a lot of inner strength. Much, much later down the line, um, I had two years of psychotherapy where this was in my early 30s where I really, really, you know, openly went into my past, my childhood, my all my beliefs. And, you know, I did a lot of reparenting with a therapist. And then after that, I had CBT because it was the first time really that I was learning how whatever I was thinking was impacting my emotions would impact my actions. And so that was a revelation for me. And I moved forward a lot after that. But then since I've been in business, sort of like the last 10 years, um, I've really embarked on, on a self-development journey and just absolutely love that. And that's really kind of pushed me forward a long way. And a, a large part of that is looking at your belief system as well, because I think when you've come from a very kind of dysfunctional background, you, you have quite skewed views of the world, of yourself, of other people. So I've like really dived into a lot of that and looking at, you know, my own self-beliefs about what I'm capable of and really, you know, eliminating or, or certainly managing those self-beliefs a lot more. And then also, um, it really, it's taught me on a much more of a spiritual path of, uh, especially since I've written my book, it was, I feel like for the first time I was fully owning who I was because I'd always had so much shame about my past, so much shame. And that writing about it all and owning it fully allowed me to drop a lot of that shame and really start to step into who I was. And it, I think owning your truth and being uh, very honest about that, it put me on a path 
this, this kind of like spiritual path, but my true path. And I started to feel very purposeful. And I was all kind of synchronicities would come into my life then. So it was just, and it's just been an incredible last sort of three, three and a half years. And I just feel I'm moving further and further and further all the time evolving. And I feel very, very grateful for the life that I've got now and using all of my experiences to help other people because a firm belief now that I went through all of that to, to be doing what I'm doing now. That's amazing. I love your story. You know, it's one of like resilience and just it's so positive now. Like it sounds like the writing process for you really felt like that's where you belonged, you know? When your book first came out, I'm just curious. Like the day it came out and you know, okay, people are actually going to read about about me. <laughs> How yeah. did you yeah. feel? Like were you terrified or were you just like okay, here goes, let's see what, you know, how people react. Like, what was your feeling? How does that feel? I was, um, when I finally decided I was going to write it, being this all or nothing person, um, I sat down 16 days later, it was written, it flooded out of me. And then I was on this mission to get it out there, launch it. So it all happened really, really quickly. Um, so I didn't have too much time to overthink it. But the day before it, my book launched, because I had part of this get, getting onto this path in synchronicities, I had all kind of opportunities just literally came to me. Um, it was it's just, it was really magical around that time. And I was offered this big book launch. I was on this magazine. I've got a speaking slot. It, was, it just all fell into place. It was incredible. And the night before the book, this big book launch, I was like, oh my God, I was terrified. I can remember ringing my mom and saying, oh my God, you know, what have I done? What have I done? It's too too late now. But there was, there was, I started to talk quite openly and publicly on social media, really, about parts of my journey, but there were certain things in that book I'd never shared with anybody. And I felt very, very uh, embarrassed, very ashamed of them. But my intuition, it really just, hang on a minute, Sam, you, in order to finally let go of this and stop punishing yourself, you know, you, you know, your mid forties now, for goodness sake, be open about it. If you're open about it and you're not hiding things anymore, it's all out there. You know, people can judge, people will judge. But I am freeing myself. So I literally freed myself. And it's the best gift I've ever given to myself. I love that. It's, it must be hard to write a book, but to write a book about your life, that takes courage, you know, it takes, um, but it, it does take courage. But I think at the same time, there's nothing that will make you feel more um, like you're healing yourself, right? So when you wrote the book, was it more to... Um, for healing for yourself and the process of it? Did you actually know that, no, I'm going to release this because it needs, you know, it's going to help other people as well? Or did you just start it off as yeah. I just need to get my thoughts on paper? It was, it was both. So I always say it's like 50%. It was to heal the shame. Cause I felt like I'd healed a lot of other aspects, but the shame, oh no, that was still there big time. Cause that was, that drove me a lot in my first business. Um, and I 
burnt myself out completely because it was always that still got to prove myself, still got to prove myself, not good enough, not good enough, do more, do more. And that was largely about when I look back over my career or lack of career and how I'd been, you know, institutionalized and not holding down jobs. I'd not had a career. I was all of these things. I was very, very harsh on myself, but it was there and nothing shifted it. But that there's mainly gone now. I have glimmers of it. Uh, you know, all of us have some stuff still, but it was. But I also had a massive desire to help other people because I'd read for years and years, in, you know, in, in my struggles, I'd, re- I'd always write from being a teenager, I'd read books. I'd read books about people's life experiences, all the books about psychiatry when I was younger, mental health, all of, all of these books. Um, and, but there was one, one author in particular who made a massive impression on me. And I just read his books and I was like blown away. And I just thought, you know, that guy can come through what he did. And now he was a speaker. He was going around the world. He was, you know, impacting so many people's lives. I just thought, oh, my God, I so need to do that. Because it also, to me, when you struggle for a long time, it just felt like a lot of my life was a write-off. And I couldn't seem to come to terms with it. To be able to use it and harness it in a really powerful, positive way just helped me make sense of my my past as well and so to me that became very it was it was a done deal it was going to happen and so I literally ran with it and you know and then when you you've written your book and you you get feedback and when you know that you've helped other people in some way as well with your you know your sharings that in itself brings a whole new level of healing and it's just an incredible journey to take. Thank you. That's beautiful. You know, the first time I saw the cover of your book, it kind of inspired me um, to start writing again, honestly. And when you talk about massive impression, like I could see myself in the cover of your book and it's just, yeah, it, it touched my heart, you know, because I could relate with that. So I can't wait to read the story. Um, even hearing about it today, but I, you know, it was just, wow, that picture spoke to me so much. Like it was incredible. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Many people have said that that was actually me when I was about six or seven. Um, and then obviously taking the face out to emulate the invisible girl girl. says so much, you know, and it's tough because sometimes when we feel invisible is when we're like, how do I say this in the right way? Um, we rebel, right? Because we want people to notice us and it just creates more problems and more problems. But it's almost like we're screaming inside and nobody is listening. So you feel like you don't even want to be in your own body. And when you have this struggle, not like, it's like you're living two completely different lives. And sometimes you don't know where to turn to, you know? So I'm glad that you took that first step and that you, because I'm looking, listening back to your story and I'm thinking if you weren't insightful enough at 1415 to learn about a little bit about, you know, what's Mm -hmm. happening to me and start Mm -hmm. reading as a young girl and, you know, that Mm -hmm. maybe you wouldn't have ended up getting the help that you needed, you know, and what then? I know. What then? I know. So it's just listening to your story, like, 
as a parent now, you know, I have a teenage boy who's 14 and we're completely on different yeah. wavelengths. We were close until <laughs> he hit teenage years, you know, and you were, yeah. right? And I'm yeah. thinking with yeah. this generation, yeah, gaps and like, what can we tell, like going through that as a child and as an, a, an adult, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. can we tell or what can you tell the audience maybe who is not maybe has not gone through what you've gone through, but is on the other side and maybe has a family member that's going through it and they don't know what to do because I think they just need to be available, right? Definitely. I I think feeling alone, I think feeling alone when you feel like that has got to be the worst part of all because, and and that's what really drove me, I suppose, to to share my story and, and do what I do now because if you know that you're not on your own, because when I used to read other people's experiences, the comfort that would bring to me, it might not um, completely transform me, but it's that very first bit where you feel comforted to know you're not on your own is huge. Because um, then there's hope, right? Yeah. There's yeah. movement, there's somewhere and, to go. Exactly. So, and I think that's what everybody needs. And so if there is a young person out there that you are trying to support or it's a young person listening and you're really struggling, find somebody, find somebody to speak to. You know, now now we've got like the internet, there's so many resources out there, but there is all, you know, back then I was ringing the Samaritans. I think most countries have got some sort of a helpline. You know, don't be afraid to pick up the phone. I know it's scary, but they really, they're so non-judgmental and they're the kindest, compassionate people, you know, and I always say they saved my life because if I hadn't have had those to speak to, I don't know what I would have done um, because they were the people who really, really did understand and help me. They, they were there. They didn't judge. They didn't, you know, just want to give me pills or they listened and I needed that more than anything to be heard. Yeah, instead of being looked at as a number, you know, like to real because everybody mm. deals with things and survives things in different ways, right? That's right. Yeah. How has I think, how, sorry? How has the things that have happened to you changed? You think the way that you um, are a parent now? Oh uh, well, I kind of I guess it's like the the all or nothing as well. But it was like okay. So these are the things I struggled with. So I want to ensure I can do the very best as a parent to, you know, instill as much self-belief, instill as much confidence, you know, self-worth in my son that I can. So I've always been very, very mindful of that, you know, from a young age and be, be a cheerleader for him, be an encourager, be a, you know, a, a listening ear, just, I've just tried, I have tried to be everything that I would have wanted and that I believe children need anyway, you know, to, to, to have that solid foundation to, to, you know, grow from. And we, we need to have that security within ourselves before we can sort of like um, brand you out into the world. Because if you don't, oh, how, how, you know, well, how painful it is. And, you you know you just well you struggle to cope when you've not got that 
secure attachment from from the early days i feel always say that you if you've not you spend the rest of your life trying to you know correct all of that which is you know not the ideal is it exactly giving them a safe place right yes and to, to be free to be who they are as well and you know yeah to be to be who they are as a person and be secure with that is is so is everything really it's hard you know when you're a hyper person like i also feel when i say hyper i i mean like feel things to different extremes right mm. it's tough because yeah. i'm now facing that with my child and we've been very close up until now and i'm thinking do i think of things like too much in one direction like sometimes i help try to help too much and it ends up backfiring so i'm just trying to remember some of the things that i went through and how i can be different and how i can continue yeah. to yeah to grow it's it's tough you know but these things happen to us for a reason right it, it, exactly <laughs> exactly it's a tough job being a parent isn't it and you don't you don't always get it right you know i know i drive my son crazy sometimes and he thinks i fuss too much and I'm, I'm to this or to that but you know the the great intentions are always there and we just we are doing the best that we can mm, aren't we i think the most important is just to make them feel seen definitely seen heard and secure yeah well, i'm so proud of you it sounds like you you've really oh, put oh, in the work you. and you know yeah i love the love the cover like I just want to read the book like I need to read this book oh, and I'm going to put it on my page because I think everybody should read it and I Thanks. really appreciate you being courageous and sharing your story not just here but actually sharing it in your book it's something that's going to remain forever and um yeah. yeah you know I'm sure your son is proud of you and and you're right you know maybe it had a big part of amending your relationship with your parents right Yes. Yeah, I feel like we've done, well, I just feel like as a person and my whole life's done a big full circle because I always had dreams of being an, an author when I was at school and before things turned really kind of sour for me, you know, that was going to be what I, I did when I left school. I was going to write. I wanted to be um, uh, either copywriter or journalist. It was always, you know, within that sort of creative zone and that was obviously postponed for many, many years, but I feel like I've gone back to doing, being who I always really was, just as an adult. So Sam, is it okay if I, I've been calling you Sam instead of Samantha, is that okay? Oh, oh <laughs> Sam, Sam, no, I like Sam. Okay. <laughs> so how does Sam feel about herself now? Sam, Sam loves herself um, in a way that, I'm very I'm very proud of myself and of my journey and of my commitment to transformation and of my commitment to trying to help other people as well because my my I always say my biggest passion now is of helping others to turn their pain into purpose. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about that you that you uh, would like to say or um no not really i think we've we've covered quite a lot here it's it's been a great conversation with you thank Aww. you uh, it's um warms my heart when i hear these stories of people that 
have been faced with with very difficult things and how these things rob them of their identity, you know, and that breaks my heart. But to hear how yeah. they come back is so amazing. And, you know, I say this all the time, but for lack of a better word, it's so inspiring. It's so, it mm. just, mm. it makes us all feel that we can do it, you know, and how good does that mm-hmm. feel? Like, it just gives us this power, right? That, hey, I'm not any different. I'm not any less of a person. I just need to continue and not give up on myself, right? So. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much for coming, for for sharing our story, and uh, for helping the audience um, move from you know baby steps, right? Absolutely, very very welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, on. absolutely. I'd love to meet you one day. <laughs> Let's make it happen. <laughs> Thanks so much, Sam. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe or leave a review. See you next week on the Giving Starts With You podcast.